Thank you, Wilson, for reading uh, for us. Uh, good morning, friends and family and visitors. Uh, good to be with you all. My name is Reed uh, Kappel, and I have the joy of serving as the pastor of Trinity Fellowship. So if you're new, if you're a guest, if you're, as, as Lori mentioned, if you've been here three times, you're a committed member, so you're here. But, but if you've never been here, it is a joy to have you with us. And so uh, what I'd like to do is just take a moment to pray for our time, uh, for the hearing of God's word, uh, for our time of responding to it. So let's take a moment uh, where we are to, to pray to the Lord. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for life. We thank you that, as, as a friend of mine says, that last night was not our last night. We thank you that we have life in this moment, that we have the ability to experience your creation. As broken as it may be and as broken as we may be, we thank you that we have life. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word that we might know you and hear from you. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to gather together in this space. And we thank you, Lord, that you are a God who meets each of us in our particular challenges and heartaches. That the burdens of life that we carry with us into this space, oh Lord, you know them all too well. You are acquainted with our sorrow. You are acquainted with our aspirations. You know what we long for. And more than that, you are what we long for. And so, Holy Spirit, I ask in this time that you would awaken us to see more and more that our desperate desire, the things that we are aiming for, for purpose, identity, joy, significance in life, would they be found in you? Would Christ be enough in this time? And so, Lord, for those who are near, would you draw them nearer still? For those of us who are far from you, in whatever way, shape, or form, would your Spirit draw us closer? And so may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen. Well, uh, one of the things that we've uh, been doing as we we launched Trinity kind of officially uh, a couple weeks ago is that we were trying to think through what do we want to do in terms of what we preach through on Sundays. You know, there's a lot of things, and obviously it's like the Bible. Well, that's a good, that's a good place to start. But, but what we were thinking about is how do, we, how do we share kind of what we're doing? Because in one sense, we are participating in something that Christians have done for many, many years, you know? But there is a unique beauty and goodness to starting a new church. And there's a lot of questions about it. Like, who are we? What are we about? And while, yes, in one sense, the church of Jesus Christ is committed to the same principles of the historic faith, there are unique things that each church is given because they are placed in particular areas and times and cultures. And so who is Trinity and and what are we about? And so what we've decided to do is to kind of walk through the values of Trinity Fellowship. And so some of you may be familiar with this. If you visit our website or if you've been a part of some of our meetings or services, you may know this. But I just thought it would be helpful to give a little bit of a, a framing of who we are. And so, so our vision, the vision of Trinity Fellowship, kind of where we see ourselves going as a church, is this. That we long to see our community holistically transformed by the reconciling power of the gospel through the work of the church for the glory of Christ. This is where we plan to go as God leads us. And, and that vision uh, produces what, what we would call our mission. And, and our mission is kind of what we plan to do. So we see this is where we plan to, where we see ourselves moving. Our mission is what we plan to do. And our mission is that Trinity Fellowship is called to follow Jesus 
by cultivating disciples who love all peoples and seek the common good of our community. This is what we plan to do. And if you were with us during the summer at Frisco Lake, uh, we kind of walked through our mission statement particularly uh, and what it means and how it's rooted in the story of Scripture. And so now we're kind of walking through our values. And our values you could sum up as basically saying who we plan to be. Who we plan to be. And we have these five values. And again, these aren't the, the sum total of what it means to be a Christian. Like, do these five things and you're golden. But we believe uniquely as a church in this time and place, these values will shape us to be a people committed to Jesus Christ, his gospel, and his kingdom. And so our values are gospel centrality. That's what we looked at last week. Holistic discipleship. Multicultural family. Mutual hospitality and biblical justice. And so we want to take each of these values and walk through them one at a time. And so today we're going to be looking at this second value that we call holistic discipleship. And what we mean by holistic discipleship, this is what's on the website, so it's official. Um, But the gospel, this is what we mean. That the gospel moves us to trust and follow Jesus with the totality of our lives in body, mind, and spirit. Every facet of our living days are to be joyfully surrendered to the ways and the will of Jesus as we live for and before him. And this value, it builds off of the first value of gospel centrality. Last week we talked about how the gospel sometimes gets reduced down to this very myopic, individualistic message that it's just all about me and my sins being forgiven so that I can go to heaven and have a personal relationship with Jesus. And while the gospel is no less than that, The gospel has this wide scope of what it means that Jesus has come to be the king and who has made a way into his kingdom now and forever. And that he has, by his grace, invited us to be a part of his work of seeing all things accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. And so if the gospel is much more robust than we tend to understand, then our discipleship, our our attempts to follow Jesus in body, mind and spirit would also have major implications if the gospel we believe in is much wider. But if we settle for a gospel that is very simple, very individualistic, well, we can understand why we might slip into a discipleship that is very individualistic, very spiritual and doesn't have implications for all of our life. And so what I'd like to do to kind of get into what we mean by holistic discipleship, I want to share with you with what is probably my greatest pet peeve in life. It's, it, and, like, and I know it's a first world problem, I recognize that, but is there anything more annoying than seeing the dialogue window pop up on your computer or on your phone that says, you have used the wrong username or password? <laughs> like, that is the most, like I, like, I have this small panic attack every time it happens. It's like, okay, which password did I use for this account? And it's like, and it's just, oh, it's just maddening. Am I the only person? Has anybody shared this pain with me? Okay, thank you, thank you. I feel seen and heard. And so, but it is, it's Massively annoying to manage so many profiles and accounts and usernames and passwords. Trying to switch between them is so disorienting. And, and I say that because there's, there's, I've come to find great tools. There's something called like LastPass or, or uh, 1Password that could, puts all of your passwords in one place. It is remarkable. It's so, and it's not just because it's sufficient and efficient. But it's because there's something beautiful about all of the parts of our life being centered in one place, being integrated. I think what we long for, this whole password metaphor, is really meant to show 
that what we long for in life is some kind of connectedness. We all have these different parts of our lives. We have this personality, who I am over here. I have my work self, my school self, my hobby self, my friend self, my church self. The question is, is there anything that brings them all together and makes sense of them? And I believe the reason why holistic discipleship is a necessary value for us as a church to be faithful in following after Jesus is because I believe that we all long to have that kind of connection of making sense of every part of our life. And so I like preaching kind of one idea. That's kind of my, my, the way I kind of think. But if there's one idea that you take away from our time, I want it to be this, that there is no formation without integration. And I'll explain what I mean by that. There is no formation. We do not grow in Christ-likeness without an understanding of integration, without an understanding of all the parts of our life coming together and being placed under the reign and the rule of Jesus as king. We will not be formed to be healthy and godly people if we continue to live disintegrated lives. I remember when I was in third grade, I had to do this presentation where I had to get up and do this little like bubble graph thing of myself. I had to, like my name Reed was in the middle and then there were these little lines. It's like, and tell, tell me about yourself. Like, well, my name's Reed and I, I like football and I like cupcakes and I like, it's like, you know, I was just listing off all these things about myself. And, and I think I probably mentioned that like I go to church and I think that's how we think about our identity, that we are just this collection of parts that aren't really integrated around one thing. And what I believe we long for is some kind of integration. What makes sense of all the parts of our life? Where do we turn to find wholeness? And I don't think we'll find it in a TED Talk. I don't think we're going to find it in in some kind of like mindfulness podcast or some kind of uh, productivity influencer. I believe where we find the pathway to wholeness is in an ancient Near Eastern prayer that has endured the test of time. And that's found in the Shema of Deuteronomy 6. And in this passage, so so I I want to read just verse 4 again. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, it says this. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, this this prayer in Deuteronomy 6, known as the Shema, because that's the, the first word in Hebrew of that prayer. Shema is the word listen or hear. It's called the Shema. This is a traditional prayer that the Jewish people pray at the beginning of the day, at the end of the day. It was so impactful because it was this centering prayer. It was a prayer that kind of placed our attention upon God who was at the center of our lives. And what's really interesting about the Shema is that this word Shema, even though it's literally translated as listen or hear, it actually has a much more robust understanding than just listen. Shema, Shema means to, to give attentiveness to. It means to listen in a way that you respond and actually do what is being said. In the, in the Hebrew tradition, there is actually no word for the word obey. Like our English word obey, there is no Hebrew equivalent. The closest thing is the word Shema. Because in the Hebrew worldview, the idea is that if you hear the word of God, that means that you put it into action. Not out of obligation, not out of a sense of like duty and responsibility, but that's what it means to hear God. There there is no option to hear and not obey. To hear God is to put into action what he has said. There is not an option to hear God and not obey. To hear and not obey is to not hear. 
And some of you parents are like, amen to that, amen to that. That's what I want my kids to hear that. But, like, but seriously, like we need to learn. Like this is hard for us in our culture because we are so distracted by so many things. We're hearing different things. We're tuned into so many things that distract us and vie for our attention. And so I think our desire to find wholeness in life is really necessary. Our desire to find wholeness in life is found in listening to the Shema. What does it mean to hear God and to put into practice what he says? Now, verse 5, if you're, if you're following along in verse 5, as the Shema continues, God says through his servant Moses, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, when we hear that, with all your heart, soul, and strength, we tend to, and I don't, I don't want to overgeneralize, but we tend to hear that as a list of things. Like, okay, so I need to love God with my heart, and then when I'm done with that, I'll love him with my soul, and then with my strength. But in the Hebrew way of thinking, this was just a way of, of describing the totality of, of, a, of a person. It's not necessarily three different parts of a person, but rather it's a way of describing the whole person. And so again, when we talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, to be a holistic disciple, the picture in mind is that it is, a, is an all-encompassing, all-of-life endeavor. It is not a religious hobby. It is not a facet of our life. It is something that totally overtakes every part of our being. And so if we are to take seriously this call to follow Jesus, we need to remind ourselves that there is no formation without integration, without the parts of our life coming together to be one. But what's interesting is that when we hear the word soul, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, I think we might have a word in mind that isn't actually what the Hebrew Bible is talking about. When we think of soul, we, we think of kind of like, like just what, what kind of comes to mind. You're probably thinking of kind of this disembodied like ghost. It's like I have this like ghost in the machine or kind of thing. Like what, what is the soul? And we tend to think of the soul as this part of us that's the most important part of us. But in the Hebrew tradition, the soul is really a word to describe the entire person. The Hebrew word is nefesh. Say that with me. Nefesh. Isn't that fun? That's just wonderful. The the word nefesh, what it literally means is life breath or or essential self. It is not just this spiritual part of us. The soul is the total part of who we are. We We don't have a soul. We are a soul. That's probably the best way to say it. We don't just have a soul. We are a soul. And, 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 but we have to understand that it's not just a spiritual reality. It is a physically embodied spiritual reality. There, there's a great uh, a Hebrew author. His name is Robert Alter. And in his uh, work and translation of uh, the first five books of the Bible, he says this. The, tr- the traditional translation of soul preserved in many recent versions is misleading because it suggests a body-soul split. As if we have this body and then we have this soul that kind of floats around inside of it. But he says that that body-soul split is alien to biblical thinking. We are way more influenced by kind of Greek philosophy than we even realize. We we, we tend to think of ourselves as I have a body and I have a soul and they kind of like blend together in some weird way. But really what the Bible teaches us is that we are a soul. And so if we are to take seriously what it means to follow Jesus, we have to have an understanding of what it means that we are integrated beings. That we have, yes, a body, 
and, and we have a mind and there is a heart and there's, there's something called the soul, but is it separate or is it just a summation of all of these things? And I think this is particularly hard for us today because of the way in which we tend to compartmentalize our life. We, we all tend to compartmentalize our life in some way. Like I said, I, I have my school self, who I am at school. But even and some of you students can identify this. You might even be a different person in how you act and speak between chemistry class and English class. And we adults have that same thing. Who I ta- how I talk and interact with certain friends looks very different than when I pivot over to these other friends in my life. And so we have to be willing to ask ourselves Am I living an integrated life where all the parts of me are coming together? Or am I living in this divided way where who I am over here is very different than who I am over here? Our physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual parts are not just parts, but they are all integrated together to make up our soul, our nefesh, who we are. And if we only focus on a part of our existence and not see that we are a collection of a lot of parts, we may miss out on a godly, healthy life. I want to illustrate this way. Uh, Last year, my family, we went to Colorado and we we had a car topper that we put on our van. The first time we used this car, it was a a soft kind of... um, car topper, so it wasn't like a hard case, and we were driving, and we got to Hayes, it's about four hours away, we usually stop there for breakfast, and we stopped, and we were out of gas, which usually, like, we've used maybe, maybe a half a tank, and I was looking at Meg, and I was like, what, what did I do, like, like, are, did we lose, like, are we leaking gas or whatever, and what, I, I was only looking at things within the van, like, is there something wrong with the mechanics, is there something wrong with the fuel injection, or the flux capacitor, or whatever, I don't know, cars, and, and, sh- and what happened was, because I was only focused on the car itself, the things that I could empirically observe and see, what I wasn't aware of is that our car topper, the wind had caught it and made us like a, like a wall. And as we were driving for four hours with, the, with our car topper flipped up like this, and people were probably honking at us. And I was like, hi, it's not yet. And so that had slowed our car down so much and was wasting all this energy. Our van was working harder than it normally does to get to Hayes. I, I share this metaphor to show that like, if we are only focused on a part of our life, like my spiritual health or my physical health or my emotional health, and not understanding how they all come together, we will miss out on what it means to be whole and healthy as God has designed us. And so is it possible that in our attempts to be holistic disciples following Jesus, are we possibly just focusing on one part of our life and missing out on the totality of what it means to be followers of Jesus? Does that make sense? Is that resonating with you? So again, there's no formation without integration. We have to understand that we are this beautiful blend of of the physical, of the mental, of the spiritual, of the emotional, of the intellectual, and all these things come together. But if we settle for a discipleship that is only interested in the spiritual, whatever that means, we will miss out on what it means to be a full, holistic holistic disciple. Do you want to learn a really fancy word? Yes, you do. Of course you do. There's a term that is used in psychology and theology that, that basically describes this phenomenon of how we are a collection of a lot of parts. The term is psychosomatic unity. I can put it there. There it is. There it is. I I didn't make it up. I promise. Psychosomatic unity. 
Now, what this word means, it basically is describing that we are a collection of all these parts that come together. That I'm an emotional being, I'm a spiritual being, I'm a physical being, that I'm an intellectual being, I'm a relational being. And sometimes our tendency is to separate those things out, or sometimes as Christians, to only kind of erode them down to really what matters is just the spiritual part. And I don't think that that is being faithful to the design of what it means to be humans as God has created us. And if we aren't careful, if we don't seek to listen to the Shema that is saying, love the Lord your God with your entire embodied soul, we may miss out on what it means to be whole and healthy and godly. Think think about it this way. Think about like an ecosystem, like like a, a forest, a big forest, okay? And so kids, I need your help with this, okay? What animal... Would, would suffer the most, maybe, if a water system, if a pond was infected? What animal would probably suffer the most? Yeah, over here. A fish, right? So if the water system is falling, if it's like corrupt and, and like corroded, fish will probably die off. Now, what is a big animal that likes to eat fish? A shark? That is true. There are sharks. Think about a big, I should have been specific, a furry animal that walks on land. Bears. And so if the fish die off, what happens to the bears? They get hungry. And they might have to leave and go find more fish. And so if a bear leaves, what, 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 um, and other, if a bear leaves that community, do you think deers become happy? Because they're not being hunted by bears? And so now deers are really happy. So now there's more deer. But what do deer like to eat? Like grass and vegetation. So then what happens to all the vegetation? It gets eaten up and it goes away. And so it's like, I'm sharing this example to show you that when something happens in a small part of an ecosystem, it has an impact on all these other parts. And we have to see ourselves as embodied souls, as people who, when there's one, like sometimes when we are not healthy physically, that can actually impact our spiritual health. And when we're not spiritually healthy, that can impact our emotional health. But if we keep separating those parts of us and don't see how they come together, we will miss out on what it means to be healthy. And so I, I, want, I want to skip ahead here really quick to, um, to Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 9. Here it says this, these words that I'm giving you, so this is God in the Shema, these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your city gates. Now what God is saying here is that he's helping us understand that just as we as individuals are a collection of all these parts and that to love God means to love him with every part of our existence, he's saying that this should also begin to have an impact on how we live our life out in public. And so there are three very quick things I want to point out from these verses to help us understand how this pertains to what it means to be a holistic disciple. What this means is that holistic discipleship is relational not just religious. It's relational, not just religious. In one sense, God is giving commands. He's saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But if you notice, God is using this tender language. He's, he's inviting Israel to, he's like, I, these words that I'm giving you, I want you to put them into your heart. I don't want you to just obey them and do them because I said so. 
I'm wanting you to live them out because of our relationship. In fact, in Deuteronomy 6, there's this repeated phrase that it says, God is giving us these rules for our good, that he wants us to obey for our good. But when we approach obedience to God and doing what he says, when we approach that from a standpoint of like, I have to do what God tells me to do, that's like guilt-driven behavior modification. That's like, okay, I feel bad that that I'm not doing right, and so I need to try to do better. And that is the kind of thinking that just is focused on results, on I need to do this so that I can be a better person. But instead, the way God is inviting us into relationship with him, the way he's giving us these commands are actually more of a love-oriented invitation. That he's wanting us to hear his words, not because, just because he is God and he says so, although that's true, but because he wants us to be near to him. Holistic discipleship is relational, not religious. The second is this. It is interactive and not individual. If you notice in the Shema, um, the, the description is, the, the, the expectation is that we would be teaching what we're learning to others. Teach them to your children. Share them w- uh, with others as you're walking along the road. The expectation is that to be a follower of Jesus is that it should impact our public life. It should actually spread out into our world and into other relationships. The worship of God and the following after Jesus is not a solo sport. It's interactive, not individual. And third, it is public, not private. Holistic discipleship is not merely a private matter. It's not just something that I do in my personal life that is separate from the rest of my world. It isn't just about being a person who has a personal relationship with Jesus, but to be a holistic disciple is one who allows the truth of Jesus to impact every part of our life. To be a holistic disciple means that that we seek to be a parent or a grandparent or a student or an employee or an, an athlete, a musician, a citizen, whatever. We seek to do all of those things in a way that reflects Jesus and his character. Again, there's no formation without integration. And so I want us to consider and just ask ourselves this question. What are the parts of my life that are not integrated and connected to who Jesus is and the ways in which he has taught us to live? I I believe that living a compartmentalized life with things kind of divided in different places is a life not worth living. And I don't think we pause enough to reflect and ask this question and consider just how divided and compartmentalized and disintegrated our lives are. Because as I said, we, we have, if, you're, if you're honest, and I'll be honest, like I have a home self, I have a family self, I have a church self, I have a preacher self, I have a friend self, and I do. There are times in which I am acting differently, I speak differently, I even think differently or even believe things differently depending on the setting I'm in. And just like trying to manage all these different profiles and accounts like, like, uh, and passwords, how that can be maddening, I don't think God has designed us to live in this divided way. And so the question we should be asking ourselves is, how do we bring all the parts of our lives, all of our relationships, all the spaces that we are in, and all of our spiritual, physical, mental aspects, how do they come together? And I believe they are found in listening to the Shema. And, and it's not just my opinion, but Jesus also believes very highly and, and, and thinks very highly of the Shema. 
Because if you're familiar with the teachings of Jesus, you might hear that, that what we read in the Shema is actually something that Jesus picks up later on in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 22. Hear these words of Jesus. This is Jesus after he was asked by uh, somebody who was trying to trap him. He said, they asked him, what is the greatest commandment? And this is what Jesus said. He said to them, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. For all the law and prophets depend on these two commands. That is a bold statement. That the entire teaching of the Bible is summed up in these two commands. Love God and love others. And you see in this command that it's not just love God in like a spiritual sense, and in an individual sense, but we are to allow this truth of what it means to love God to bleed into, to spread out into all of life. We are to love God and love our neighbor. And when we focus on one at the expense of the other, or at the neglect of the other, we're missing out on what it means to be holistic disciples. There is to be no divide. There's to be no compartment. There's to be no split between the spiritual and the physical, between the private and the public. To be a follower of Jesus, to be a holistic disciple, is to be one who follows Jesus in every part of life. So I want to close with this, just these, uh, some application questions for us to consider. And the first is this, is I want us to consider what does it look like for us to Shema God through his word? I, I, when was the last time that you heard something that God said in his word and did it. I just, just think about that for a second. Like, when was the last time you, you were hearing from God in his word and did what he said? And so I want you to consider this week, what does it look like for us to Shema God, to listen and obey, to do what God says, not because we have to, but because he is inviting us into a life with him. The second is this, is I want you to pay attention to your embodied soul. And what I mean by that is this. Try to pay attention to your physical health, your spiritual health, your mental health, and not one over the other. Because sometimes when we don't feel like right in life, it might not just be because we are spiritually unhealthy. It might be that. But it may just mean that we just need a snack and a nap. Like, you know, we, we might just need some kind of physical healthy thing to get healthy as an embodied soul. So pay attention to the parts of your life and figure out where am I not healthy? And where do I need to give more attention as an embodied soul? And thirdly, I want you to identify the parts of your life that God is not a part. What is the part? What is the relationship? What is the person? What is the area of your life where God is not a part? Where you're not aware of his presence? Where you're, you're less likely to be uh, attentive to him or obedient to him or, or respond to him in prayer? Identify the parts of your life that God is not a part God doesn't just want your heart. He doesn't just want your spiritual life. He doesn't just want your devotional life. He wants your whole life. Not because God is controlling, not because he is coercive, but because he is compassionate. We all long for wholeness. We all long for completeness. I, I think that we all feel tired and exhausted from being pulled in different directions. And I think what we long for is to live the, the, the fullness of our life, every part of our life, in one direction, with one purpose. And to give the fullness of our life to God. I'll, I'll, I will close with this. There's a passage in the, in the Gospel of Luke that I've always been confused by, where Jesus is being trapped again by religious leaders. And they say, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? 
And Jesus, I, I was always so confused why this was such an amazing teaching of Jesus. But Jesus says this in trying to explain if they should pay taxes to Caesar or not. He says this in Luke 20, verse 24. He says, show me a denarius, which is a coin. And he says, whose image and inscription does it have? And they said, Caesar's, they said. Well, then, he told them, give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and give to God the things that are God's. And they were not able to catch him in what he said in public. And being amazed at his answer, they became silent. And I was always like, why is that amazing? Jesus is basically just saying, like, yeah, pay taxes. It's like, it's like, whoa, what a great teacher. Like, I never understood why that was amazing. Until someone pointed out to me that what is Jesus saying? He says, whose likeness and image is on the coin? Caesar's. Okay, then give to Caesar the thing that bears his image. And give to God the thing that bears his. Do you see how that, like, and, and who, who bears God's image? All of us. Every single one of us. What Jesus, the reason why this is amazing is because Jesus is saying, look, give to Caesar the things there is. He's got this coin. His life is on the coin. Big deal. My image is imprinted upon every human that has ever lived and ever will live. And so give to God the things that are God's, which is the totality of your life. Again, not because we have to, not because we feel compelled to, but because in God's goodness and mercy is made a way for us to be reconciled to him. And when we understand that to hear God and obey is not something we do out of obligation, but because he is a good and loving God, that changes the way we live for him and before him. And so give to God the things that are God's, which is your total life. Is it possible that part of our pain, part of our, part of our anxiety, part of our fear, part of our unhealth in life is the fact that there are parts of us that we refuse to live for and before God? And so may we be a people who seek to holistically follow after Jesus in all things. May it be so. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you that you are a loving God. That you have made us body, soul, mind, and spirit as one. And so, Lord, I ask that by the power of your spirit, would you awaken us to the truth of what it means to live the totality of our lives before you? Holy Spirit, would you show us where we tend to divide our life and live in compartments? May we seek to live lives of integrity where we are who we are for you and before you in all things. And Lord Jesus, may we see you as king of all of life. And may we understand that you have invited us into a full life with you in every part of our life. And so where we stray, Lord, forgive us and allow us to turn to you, to walk with you in all things. For you have given us yourself. May we in turn respond with joy by giving the totality of our lives to you. Body, mind, soul, and spirit. We pray this in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.